Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Russia targets 61 Canadians with new sanctions. I can speak for all of the latest rounds of Russian sanctions that uh, when I say that this does not weaken our resolve one whit uh, from doing everything we can to stand up for Ukraine and pushing back hard against Vladimir Putin's murderous regime. Jean Charest says he would allow more private health services. There would be an arrangement with a, a province to take on a set of cases and, and treat patients from the diagnostic stage all the way through the operation. And Pierre Poiliev defends investing in rental properties as he campaigns on a promise to address housing affordability. We're helping solve the problem by providing affordable rental accommodations to two deserving families. It's Friday, April 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Christy Kirkup of The Globe and Mail. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Mark. So there are 61 Canadians who have been added to Russia's list of people who are being personally sanctioned. There are some politicians on that list, some people who work in the prime minister's office, uh, provincial premiers, not all of them, um, but some of them, uh, some municipal mayors, uh, some journalists, the Bank of Canada governor, uh, the Canadian ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray, is on the list. And I know some of them were kind of joking on, on social media that this was a badge of honor in this moment to be sanctioned by Russia in, in such a way. But ultimately, what does it mean? This is retaliation for the measures that Canada has put in place to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But what does it all mean? Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because this list is quite a, um, you know, a, a, includes a variety of individuals, as you mentioned, everyone from, again, provincial politicians to uh, journalists uh, to the head of media companies. Um, and I, I think it's Russia, um, specifically the Russian foreign ministry, sending a message that if people are... Um, including uh, reporters, I would say, that are going to be um, scrutinizing what Russia is doing, that, um, you know, in Russia's view, there will be consequences. Um, obviously, I don't think it's going to deter um, journalists, uh, for example, uh, from reporting on what is going on on the ground. Uh, a colleague of mine, Mark McKinnon, who has been extensively working on the ground in Ukraine is, is one of the individuals who is on the list, and he actually has spent um, a lot of time working in Russia, and he said um, yeah, in a social media post, I'm getting a lot of congratulations, uh, replies to this, and he said, for me, it's genuinely a sad day. I loved my time living in Russia and made a lot of friends there. And then he went on to say, I always try to report honestly about the country, and I guess that was the problem. So I think at the core, this is Hmm. A group of individuals that Russia has identified from kind of different sectors, again, that cross-section of people um, who have not held back in, um, again, either reporting on the facts of what has been going on on the ground um, or, you know, speaking out to scrutinize uh, the actions specifically of Russia's President Vladimir Putin. Yeah. All right. And, and I'm sure there will be more of this. And, and in the weeks ahead, we, we know that Canada uh, is considering more sanctions against Russia and more measures to help Ukraine and, and presumably 
Russia will respond uh, against Canada and against other countries in the West as well um, as this continues. So we'll continue to follow that. Let's turn to the Conservative leadership race, Christy, and a couple of interesting stories arising in the last couple of days. First of all, Jean Charest is talking about how he would approach ending uh, some of the restrictions around the pandemic, uh, ending the lockdowns and that sort of thing. Um, but he's saying rather than ban the practice of pandemic-related closures, he would improve the state of healthcare funding in Canada so that uh, lockdowns wouldn't be needed to protect hospitals from being overwhelmed. And he also said he would allow the provinces the choice of employing more private healthcare delivery, which is it's it's kind of an interesting area for a political candidate to wade into because that's a it's a pretty sacred topic in in Canadian politics. Yeah, I, I do think this is interesting. I think at the core of what Shahi is um, kind of touching on is part of, frankly, a, a broader conversation that has been taking place. And I you know, think that um, a lot of health experts would like to see it continue around the whole notion of what one of the central reasons why uh, there had to be lockdowns was because of the um, concern and, frankly, the, the fact that healthcare systems across the country were overwhelmed in the face of COVID-19 and that this has brought to bear this discussion. The premiers have been talking about uh, the need, for example, for an increase to the Canada health transfer, that there needs to be a sustainable approach to healthcare funding in this country. And then so Jacques Charest, in the course of the leadership um, race, I think is trying to kind of hone in on that point around um, the, the state of healthcare in this country, which, um, again, frankly, I, I think that more and more people are talking about because of the pandemic and because of the last two years that we've lived in um, and lived through. Um, but, you know, to, to go as far as to essentially say that, you know, private healthcare delivery would represent, as Shahe described it, a sea change uh, for Canadian healthcare. For example, um, suggesting, uh, you know, a private clinic that could specialize in uh, knee and hip surgery and that under uh, Charest government, um, that essentially a clinic could become, um, uh, essentially there would be an arrangement with a a province to take on a set of cases and and treat patients, um, essentially from the diagnostic stage all the way through the operation, um, kind of talking about these private healthcare clinics being able to take this on. So um, to your point, I do think, you know, of course, uh, the, the notion of how we fund our, our healthcare systems in this country is, again, kind of a, um, it can prove to be a very controversial conversation. But at the, um, at the core of it, again, there is this perhaps grander discussion that will be playing out, which is, you know, if healthcare systems are overwhelmed, then what is the solution and, and what can be done about that? And here, Shahe is, is putting forward his vision for it, if you will. Yeah. All right. And the other interesting story that surfaced is, of course, Pierre Polyev has been talking a lot about uh, the federal government's policies that he says are driving up the cost of housing in the country. Um, but he is on a list of MPs who own rental properties, and uh, he's defending those investments that he's made, although some people say they contribute to rising 
real estate prices. Um, he co-owns a real estate investment company that owns at least one rental property. So, um, so do you think this will undermine the argument that Poiliev is making? You know, I, I, I'm not certain because I think that clearly, and there has been some reporting around this, that, that a number of MPs do own rental properties. And frankly, I think it's important to point out, and obviously has been pointed out in the, the course of this um, reporting, that you know that this is not something that is is against the law. Lots, lots of Canadians um, have rental properties, uh, frankly, as a source of income. Um, and yeah. Yes, and it's uh, it's an investment think, like any other. They, you can put yeah, your money exactly. in mutual funds. You can exactly. you can buy a second home and rent it out. Uh, lots of Canadians do it, and there's nothing illegitimate about it as long as you treat it properly on your taxes. Exactly. So I think that that's um, you know perhaps one of the reasons why I'm I I'm not Mark necessarily convinced that this is going to become a story that dogs Pierre Polyev or frankly other politicians who do own rental properties because I think it's important to point out that lots of Canadians have real estate investment properties and this is frankly uh, a common practice for for you know frankly Canadians who um, decide to do that um, you know and if they follow the rules there's nothing untoward about that I think that the the point of pointing this out, is part of, again, we're, we're talking about these kind of grander conversations that the, the country has been engaged with. The real reason this is coming up, and frankly, I think Pierre Polyev is touching on a really hot-button issue around the notion of um, affordability and around the housing crisis in this country, because we do know in a number of Canadian cities uh, that uh, the, the prices of homes um, are are going through the roof. Um, this was something, of course, the Liberals also focused in on in the recent budget. There have been people who have, you know, questioned whether, uh, for example, measures around things like foreign buyers, to what extent that's actually going to be able to um, cool the market, for example. But Pierre Polyev has made it his mission to talk about issues like um, being able to afford a home in this country. So, um you know, per, perhaps that's why again people are are pointing out yeah. that uh, he owns he he does have um, uh, additional properties under his name. But I I I'm not entirely convinced. It's you know I'm I'm not sure that this is like a political controversy in in the making. I think that the the core of it, and I think he will keep at it, is talking about this notion. And frankly, I I think that this resonates with a younger audience, which is also an area of growth for the Conservative Party, because, you know, if you've been to Conservative rallies, um, and Conservatives will, will say this to people's faces too, that it is commonly, you know, older folks who will come out specifically to those rallies. And at some of Pierre Polyev's rallies, there are younger people who seem to be drawn to his message. And I frankly think one of the things that is drawing them in is this um, conversation again around the notion of it, it, this is a fact that because of inflation um, and the cost of everything is essentially going up, that it is getting harder and harder for Canadians to make ends meet. And frankly, um, there's uh, a lot of people who, frankly, aren't even convinced that they'll ever be able to get into the housing market, considering how hot it is right now um, and uh, that the challenges that exist. So I think, again, he, he's touched on a topic that people care about. Yeah, and I'm not sure this is going to um, stick to him in in any way that um, you know would would 
would turn into, as I say, a controversy. All right. Great stuff, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That's Christy Kirkup of The Globe and Mail. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Alan Freeman argues Pierre Poilievre's resentment mining is fundamentally irresponsible. Freeman writes, Poilievre is feeding on fears and insecurities after a two-year pandemic and the worst inflation in decades. Inflation in all major economies is soaring, exacerbated by the invasion of Ukraine and supply shortages and disruptions. But Poiliev isn't interested in these things. Instead, he blames inflation on taxes, government spending, and Justin Trudeau. He mines resentment and anger the way the crypto guys mine Bitcoin. Take his critique of elites. Basically, it's an attack on people who actually know what they're talking about and might tell voters things they don't want to hear. In The Ottawa Citizen, Andrew McDougall argues Pierre Poiliev needs to have some solutions. McDougall writes... Solutions are not what Poiliev has to conjure up at this moment. All he needs to do now is convince enough of the Conservative membership he is the man to take on Justin Trudeau. But Poiliev doesn't want to turn into Donald Trump, a guy who whips up a load of white-hot anger and then doesn't fix the problems when given the chance, further fueling frustrations and eroding trust in our institutions. It's absolutely right to focus on the people who can't get ahead, but only if you have a plan to help them out. In the Calgary Herald, Chris Nelson argues the pink tinge of socialism prevents Canada from reaching for the stars. Nelson writes, What came first? An endless parade of politicians promising to right every perceived inconvenience or our own desultory desire in demanding they try? Those two forces are now joined snugly at the hapless hip. Look no further than some of the recent federal budget measures to spot where we're headed a collective path where those clamoring for our current favor and future votes dutifully soften every hard corner. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will make an announcement, along with the Premier of Manitoba, Heather Stefanson, and the Grand Chief of the Southern Chiefs Organization, Jerry Daniels, in Winnipeg. Minister of Indigenous Services, Patty Haidu, Housing Minister Ahmed Hussein, and Minister of Northern Affairs, Daniel Vandal, will also be in attendance. The Prime Minister will later meet with the Mayor of Winnipeg, Brian Bowman, and with the Premier later in the day, and the Prime Minister will also meet with local youth to highlight Earth Day. Government officials will provide an update on COVID-19. In Washington, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will hold a news conference along with the Minister of Finance of Ukraine to mark the close of the 2022 spring meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank Group. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser will make an announcement in St. John, New Brunswick, on upcoming changes related to express entry and opportunities for international graduates. Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray will announce investments for salmon research and habitat restoration projects in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will plant trees for the Two Billion Trees Initiative and launch the program's tree planting season at Queen's Park in New Westminster, B.C. Official Languages Minister Jeanette Petipa-Taylor will announce support for towns in the region of Portugal Cove, St. Phillips in Newfoundland and Labrador. And Governor-General Mary Simon will speak at the Canadian launch of the UN Decade of Indigenous Languages in Ottawa. 
And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April 22nd. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.